Man, I tell y'all, I am so excited for this sermon. I need to take a deep breath, Brother Finney, because I just need to calm down because I'm so excited. This sermon has like six pages of notes. Now, whenever I go to four, that's good. All right, that's 30 minutes, and we wrap it up. If you go to six, so here's what I need y'all to do. If, if you're interested in more, because I'm not going to cover all of it, I've done lots of research, there's lots of data, there's even footnotes in this thing. It's taken me until last night about 10 o'clock. I, find, I started it on Monday. I just feel like I've given birth. So here, y'all take this child of mine. <laughs> I give birth every Sunday. But this week, it's just, when you talk about the incarnation of God, how do you do that? in 30 minutes. So I've put this manuscript together. You can go online. You can download it for $19.99. We'll give you a... (laughs) Y'all know I'm kidding. You just download it for free and take it and use it as the Lord would allow you to. So I'm sitting there getting my hair cut. Takes about every four or five weeks. It happens. You go get your hair cut. And I'm sitting there in the chair, and I notice a lady comes up, and she sits in a chair right beside the chair that I'm sitting in, which is unusual because most of the people sit out in the waiting area, right? And so the lady's cutting my hair, and it dawns on me, I've been worked in to the the mix here, and she's going to hurry and finish with me so she can get to her next appointment. And so the person who's cutting my hair begins to ask me about my day and my weekend. Well, you know what I'm going to say about the weekend. Don't talk about Jesus and... And I could feel the person leaning in. Y'all with me? She was leaning in the other chair, and she was eavesdropping on our conversation. So we begin to talk about Christmas, and then she makes a statement about, well, something just really bothers me. And so Andy Andy Spencer taught me this, so I asked her a question. Tell me more about that. What what, what do you mean by that? How does that, that make you feel? And so, and then she just started talking. And she goes, well, I happen to be a Jew. I'm a Jew of the Jewish faith, and there's something. Maybe you can help me understand. I just don't understand something. And I mean, the lady's cutting my hair, and and we're having this this theological conversation. She goes, what is it when I walk into a store and there's a Santa Claus holding baby Jesus? She said, that's just something wrong with that picture. Can you help me with that? I said, well, ma'am, thank you. That is a great question, And, and, and I hear your point. In fact, I agree with you that the main point about Christmas is not so much the Santa Claus and Jesus, it's really all about Jesus. And she was like, yeah, that that makes sense. That's what you Christians ought to be doing, you know, it's Jesus. And I said, I tell you what, come Sunday, and we're gonna be preaching on the, and I said the word, and and it just came out of me. And I thought, maybe she's never even heard this word, but I said, come Sunday, and I'm gonna preach about the incarnation. That's what I said, right in front of the, 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 the room there. I don't know if she knows what the incarnation is, but maybe she's here today, and God bless you if you're here today, lady sitting in the chair next to me. The incarnation of God. What is that? Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. John chapter 1 is the prologue to the whole gospel. Really, verses 1 through 14. So theologically significant. So much truth just packed into these 14, 18 verses. And John 1, 1 is where we need to start, and then we'll just kind of work our way mainly through 14 uh, through 18. And today, as I talk about the incarnation of God, when God the Son took upon human flesh, was born in a manger through Mary the Virgin, 
And this amazing, miraculous act of God, this act of deity, the one true living God, He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the second person of that Godhead, the Son Himself, the eternal Son, comes to the earth through Mary, and He is born of the Virgin Mary, and here we have Him, the greatest gift ever known to mankind. This is the incarnation. The incarnation, you talk about the Trinity. It reminds me of some of these deep, wonderful doctrines that we hold and we cherish as the church, such as Trinity, the two natures of Christ, His humanity, His deity. I think about doctrines like theodicy. How can a good God allow bad things to happen? I think about the doctrine of election and predestination, some of these big doctrines that it's hard for us to wrap our minds around. But here's the thing. I don't think God wants these doctrines to be so transcendent that they lose their eminence. That God wants us to study and worship Him with our minds, yes. But God, as we talked about in the college ministry on Wednesday night, God also wants us to worship Him with our hearts and with our passion. So whenever we come together and we sing praise to God and when we study His Word and when we pray and when we give, let it be an affair of the mind and also of the heart. And so we come this celebration Christmas season and we worship the Christ child, the incarnation, when God put on human flesh. To me, such an amazing, miraculous Christmas event. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at John chapter 1, and I'm going to just be very, uh, for lack of a better term, just very deep and theological with you for a few minutes, and I think that's very important. But after that, I'm just going to walk you back through the text and look, look at some very practical, just some very practical things that you can wrap your heart and mind around so that this doctrine of incarnation and this miraculous event of God, we're going to try to narrow this down. Well, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to me during this Christmas season? So first of all is the incarnation explained, and then secondly, the incarnation applied. So let's look at verses 14 through 18. The Bible says in John 1, as he wraps up his prologue, he says, and the word uh, became flesh and dwelt among us, okay? So let's just go to the text right quick, all right? If y'all are with me on the PowerPoint. In John 1, uh, 14. Come and see what God has done. No, well, bring it on. Here we go. John chapter 1, are we there? Okay. Let me go old school on y'all. Here we go. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I hope you're listening carefully. Listen to these verses. John bore witness of him, John the Baptist, that is, and he cried out and he said, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me because he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace, grace on top of grace. Okay? For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. He has manifested Him. And this is where we get this wondrous doctrine of the incarnation. In the 18th century, Charles Wesley the brother of John Wesley, he wrote those majestic words we sang a moment ago. Hark the herald the angels sing. 
and glory to the newborn king. And George Whitfield, his friend, took the manuscript from Charles Wesley and he adapted it pretty much to what we have today. A man by the name of William Cummings, he comes along and he takes, he takes these great lyrics of the incarnation, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and then he gives it off and he creates this amazing tune and actually he stole the tune from Felix Mendelssohn. Now, steal such a harsh word. He borrowed a secular tune Festgesang, the, the German word, and he puts that tune of Felix Mendelssohn together with the words of Charles Wesley, and we get this amazing hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King, Peace on Earth and Mercy Mild, God and Sinners are Reconciled. Joyful all you nations rise, join the triumph of the skies, with angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King. Okay, keep going. Christ the highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold, he came, offspring of a virgin's womb. Ooh, here it is. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Covered in flesh, the Godhead we see. Hell, the incarnation of the deity. Pleased as a man with man to dwell, Jesus is our Emmanuel, which means God with us. So they say, say, hark, listen, the herald, the angels sing, glory to the newborn king. It's powerful. That's deep. That is doctrinal singing. And so the incarnation explained, well, what does this mean? Well, verse 1 of John says this, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. So the incarnation explained. What does that mean? What does it mean when John says the logos of God? And this is where I have lots of quotes and lots of footnotes and lots of information because when you mention the word logos, what I am trying to say and what, what the Greeks were saying then was it's the all-encompassing wisdom. It is wisdom on such a grand scale. It's what holds the cosmos together. And there's quotes there from Heraclitus and Marcus Aurelius and others talking about the wisdom. There's just that amazing, that what, what binds, and the Stoic says it just pulls everything together. It is, it is just this elevated, it's hard to put into words, and so they just called it the Lagos. But John has the Hebrew ideal in mind when he talks about the preexistent one of wisdom. And so when you combine all the Greek knowledge and all the Hebrew knowledge, and John borrows this term and he says, that is Jesus Christ. He is the Logos of God. And he was in the beginning. And the Logos was with God. And so he is with God, meaning that he is with and yet he is God. The, the second person of the Trinity is what he's talking about. And so we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And God the Son has always existed as the only begotten, one and only unique Son of the Father. And the Holy Spirit completes the triad or the, we call it the Trinity. But the next part says, and the Word was God. The Jehovah Witnesses add an indefinite article there that is not there in the Greek New Testament. They say, and the word was a God, as if Jesus was just one of the many pantheons of gods, and you got this polytheism of gods, which India has 330 million gods. I'm here to tell you, there's just one God. It's this God who is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. This God in the beginning, and John wants your mind to go back to Genesis. 
He says, sounds like Genesis 1-1. That's what John wants. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. In the beginning, God is there. His Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You say, but I want to I ask you a question. How do you know that the logos that John talks about in verse 1 is Jesus in verse 14? Well, he tells us when he says, he put flesh on. Did you catch that? And verse 14 says, and the logos became flesh. He took on humanity, and he dwelt among us. The, the, the Greek word dwell there has the root word in it, skene, S-K-E-N-E. Listen to this. That word means tabernacle. And so as God the Father tabernacles with the Jews, remember this, in the wilderness wanderings, as God Almighty, His presence was felt in that tabernacle and later subsequent in the temple, then that same God now has come and tabernacled and dwelt with us in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the majestic, miraculous doctrine of the incarnation. And I'm going to talk about this more in just a moment, but listen to this carefully. Jesus came to dwell but it wasn't always easy, but he did the Father's will, and he did not stop till he completed all God wanted him to do. That will speak heavily to us. It did to me in just a moment. Verse 14 says, he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. What does that mean? What did John mean when he said, oh, I beheld his glory? I think it means John 17, the transfiguration, the great metamorphosis text when the deity and the inside of Jesus burst out on the outside, and there's Moses, and there's Elijah, and there is Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. John says, hello, I was there. I saw it. Could it be when we saw his glory, we saw his miraculous deeds, this baby Jesus born in a manger, he grows up and he does these miraculous things. He raises people from the dead. He touches lepers and heals them as white as snow. And then the, the greatest of all miracles, the Lord Jesus Christ comes out of the tomb. And John says, we saw it. We beheld with our eyes his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, the one and only unique son of the Father. Explain that to me. I can't. All I can say is God has always existed as Father, Son, and Spirit. He is full of grace and truth. Verse 14, please note that. He doesn't have a modicum or a brief amount of grace and truth, but he is saturated with grace and truth. In verse 15, now this is talking about the, the, the incarnation explained. John bore witness of him. This would be John the Baptist. And he cried out. And by the way, the word witness in verse 15 is the Greek word martyreo. It means to, 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 to die as a martyr. And John the Baptist did, did he not? All of the apostles did except this guy writing, and he was banished on the island of Patmos. But they bore witness to him, and John cried out, and he said, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Yes, John the Baptist was born six months prior to his relative Jesus. Were they cousins? Perhaps. We don't know. It just says that Mary and Elizabeth were related. And Elizabeth gives birth to John the Baptist six months before Jesus Christ is born to Mary. So in actual time, John the Baptist is older than Jesus. But John says, that's not the case. <laughs> yes, he is, I'm older than him by six months on this earth, but he's always been. He is the Logos of God. He's always existed as the second person of the Godhead. He is preferred before me because he is before me. It's a lot like John in 3.30 when he says, and he must increase, and I must what? Anybody? 
I must decrease. In verse 15, there it is. Verse 16. Are y'all doing okay, by the way? I'm just, I'm just kind of jacked up about this text. I'm telling you, I'm, it's, just, it's just all over me. And of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. There's a good translation of this, and I've got it here in my notes, and I want to make sure I read it and make sure I give it to you. It's from the New Living Translation, and it says, From his abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another. This word fullness is only used here in the Gospel of John when it details for us the full, gracious truthful nature of this incarnate God. You've heard me say this a million times. I want to say it a million more. Man's religion is our attempt to reach up to God and please Him through good works, through doing all that we can to please this heavenly deity. But in Christianity, it's just the reverse. Almighty God says, I know you could never please me in and of yourself, so you can't reach me, so I'll come down to you. And He did in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was full. He was saturated Pleroma is the Greek. He was fully saturated with grace, with grace on top of grace, grace upon grace, grace right after grace, like waves of liquid love, like the waves that pummel the shores of the sea. So the love of God in Jesus Christ is poured out upon our souls over and over, lapping over and over and over. That's what it means when it says grace and more grace and more grace. Aren't you glad for the grace of God today? That God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Whoever believes will never perish, will have everlasting life. The angels are shouting it. John the Baptist is preaching it. The beloved apostle John is preaching it. Here, your humble servant, Brother Danny, is preaching it for all to hear that God Come and see what God has done. Noel's come. He's come born of the Virgin Mary, and he died on a cross, and he arose from the dead. So all of us sinners can go to not hell, but to heaven. Hallelujah. That's the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. Woo, my word. Make a Presbyterian get excited. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I love Presbyterians. I know, I know. I said that one day, and the lady came to me. She goes, don't you talk about Presbyterians. I said, okay, I won't. <laughs> His fullness we've received, grace for grace. Now, watch this juxtaposition. John's going to talk about law now and grace. 4, verse 17. The law was given through Moses. And the grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. When I first read that, I thought maybe John was... Just not putting down the law, but just passing over it. But I looked at it deeper, and I see it as John's grateful for the law. He's grateful for the prophets and the writings. And truth did come through the law. But as Paul tells us, the letter of the law will kill. But God, through Jesus, will give us grace on top of grace, the law tells us we're all sinners. I can't keep all of God's commandments. I, I just can't. I can't keep all of his rules and his regulations. And I know if left to myself, I'll break every one of them and I will die and I will go to hell and I have nobody to blame but my own sinful self. And God says, I know that. I know that. And the law tells you that. But did you know 
there's a rescue. Did you know there is a lifeline? Did you know that there is a life preserver thrown out into the sea of lost humanity? And all you have to do, sinful you are, all you have to do is you are wooed by the Spirit of God. Just reach out your hand by faith and take the hand of Jesus Christ and He will lift you up to glory. That is the grace of God. God's G, riches are A at C, Christ E, expense. That's grace, God's unmerited favor. And John is just overwhelmed with the grace of God. It's far outseeds and, and excels the law. The law has a place, but so does grace. Verse 18, nobody's seen God at any time. He said, but I thought Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. That's what he said, but that was... Okay, this is, this is where it gets technical, but I want you to look at the manuscript if you need to. I have this word in there. It's called a theophany or an anthropomorphism. You say, God, so who did, what? What in the world are you speaking up there? Are you speaking in tongues, bro? What is an anthropomorphism? An anthropomorphism in the Bible is the hand of God. God doesn't have a hand. He's a spirit, right? So it tells us in humanity language, anthropos means man in Greek. Anthropology means the study of cultures, mankind. You with me? The hand of God. Moses said, I saw the backside of God. Well, that's just an anthropomorphic language, metaphorical language saying no man can really see the essence of God unless God gives a theophany or some kind of anthropomorphic appearance. But what John is saying here is, goodness, oh, you can't, you can't see him. He's so much greater, he's, the, he's light, he's brilliant, radiant light, but when you look at his son, you see him in full. There he is. That's when John said, behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. We could never see God for who he is. This immortal, invisible, all-powerful, omnipotent God, but he put on human flesh. So you'd never miss him. So I would never miss him. This is, the, this is the gem of incarnation. This is the incarnation when God says, you can never reach me, but I'm putting on flesh and I'm going to walk among you. And think about this. When you look at Jesus of Nazareth, you are looking at the face of God. Wow. Ooh. John says he's the only begotten God, the one unique God who is in the bosom of the Father. And Jesus has, and I got so excited about this next Greek verb. Y'all just indulge me for a moment. You ready? He exegesetosed him. He exegesetosed him. Ryan, what do you think that is? What word do you think that is? Exegesed him. He exegesis. Jesus Come on, exegeted the Father. You say, what does exegesis mean? Exegesis is when you take the Bible and you go line upon line. Brother James, it's not true. Take verse upon verse. The pastor studies it. He explains it to the people. He is preaching an exegetical sermon. That's what I do. That's who I am. That's all I know to do is to preach the Word of God. And that's what I'm doing in my feeble, frail attempt. But Jesus says, watch this, I will exegete and detail line upon line, explain the heavenly Father. That's Christmas. That's much more than a Santa Claus holding a baby Jesus. Amen. This is, this is the real deal. Ma'am, I hope you're here. 
God bless you for sitting in that chair next to me. How would you like to sit next to me in a chair anywhere? <laughs> An airplane? I was sitting at a football game one time, and I was so excited, I just turned to the guy and started sharing the gospel with him. He said, are you going to talk about that stuff here? <laughs> I said, you better believe I am. If you'll listen, I'll talk about him because he's everything to me. Without him, I don't have anything. Without him, I don't have a life. I don't have a wife. I don't have kids and in-laws. I don't have anything but Jesus Christ in his great mercy reached down and saved me and changed me. Now I've got everything. Okay, let me go to point number two, all right, real quickly. You said, don't you know we got a business meeting? Yep, but I think this is more important than a business meeting. We're, we're going to talk about the incarnation. What does that mean to us? And y'all stay with me, please, please stay with me. I know it's 12 o'clock. I know I'm, I tried, y'all don't know, I really do try to finish at 12 for a lot of reasons. I know the kids are running wild, amen. Not your kids, not any of your kids would run wild at all. I know that. <laughs> And I know there's demands on people's time and all, but there are three words I got to get you to, to grasp this with me before you leave. Dwell, grace, and truth. Dwell. Jesus dwelt with us. Wrap your mind around that. I wonder if he was ever tempted not to dwell. When people misunderstood him, when people cursed him, when people said, we're going to kill you, you reprobate you heath and they curse the very creator god i wonder if jesus was not tempted to say father uh you got another plan because these people are crazy i'm trying to give them life i'm trying to teach them what you and i are already know and father they are trying to take my life can we do another plan but you never read of that in the bible you know what that tells me listen listen carefully this is worth coming for this is for somebody when times get hard, don't leave. When your marriage is difficult, don't get a divorce. When your church is going through hard times in Jesus' name, don't forsake them. When you're having a hard time at your job and God told you to stay at the job, but you're having a hard time and you're tempted to go stay, dwell in the name of Jesus of Nazareth who dwelt and did all the Father asked him to do. I'm asking you, would you dwell? Would you stay? Would you be the man and woman that God wants you to be? Because Christianity, Jesus never said it would be easy. He just said, I'll be with you, dwell. Number two is grace. How do you talk on grace? God's unmerited love. The Bible says Jesus was full of grace. The religious people hated him because he preached about grace all the time. He told a story. He said, there's, there's 12 guys working in a field and and all 11 of them, I mean, a bunch of them, they just work all day and they get a certain amount of money. And this one rascal, he comes in, he works an hour, he gets the same amount of pay as all the others. What's up with that? Jesus said, that's grace. <laughs> that's grace. That God would forgive anybody. It's grace. Have y'all forgotten grace? Have we gotten so religious and spiritually ossified and calcified that we forgot that God sent his son to die on a cross, redeem a lost, broken world, and we get to go to heaven and we get an eternal, abundant life here. Oh, all of that is given to us by grace. Some people twist grace, truncate it, and they've created this word called antinomianism. 
antinomianism is, I'm so full of God's grace, the law does not apply to me anymore. Bring on the parties. Bring on the drunkenness. Bring on the immorality. Because God has forgiven me in Christ, therefore I can live like I want to live. That's not what Jesus had in mind when he said, I've come to give you grace. Paul picks it up when he says in Romans 6.1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? I didn't put it up there, but verse 2 says, certainly not. <laughs> it asks the question, it gives the answer. No, if God has saved you and God has changed you so much, doesn't it want, doesn't it want to make you want to be more like him? full of grace and full of mercy. Last thing I want to say about grace, and I just had to get this out to you. If you want to grow in grace, hang around people of grace. Hang around Jesus every morning with your Bible. Get your Dr. Pepper, get your Coke, whatever it is you need, and just sit down and just say, Jesus, conform me more to your image. I want to be a person of grace. I want to be a poor in spirit, meek and humble, like you, Jesus, I didn't say weak and arrogant. Are y'all with me? If you want to be a person of grace, every morning get up and spend time with the personification of grace, Jesus. Then be discipled by a person of grace. We have bunches of men and women in this church that will personally disciple you like I'm discipling somebody right now. We can hook you up so that they can pour grace into your life so that you can grow more into the image of Christ. Okay, last thing, last thing. Truth. Dwell, grace, truth. Now, when Jesus saw the woman caught in the act of adultery, he said, anybody who's without sin, throw a stone at her. Nobody did. Jesus, alone with the woman, said, where are your accusers? She said, they're gone. He said, that's right. And then he said something amazing. He said, and you know what? I do not condemn you either. That is grace. A lot of times we stop the story there, but the story continues on when Jesus said, Now go and sin no more. That's truth. That's just like Jesus, isn't it? You know, like the lady told my, my wife a few years ago in Austin, she goes, I love Jesus. It's just not the Jesus of the Bible that I love. We, we don't have another Jesus. He, he's all we got. I mean, he, he's plenty. The part she doesn't like is when he says, I am the only way to heaven. Or I cannot condone your cohabitation. You're, you're living together and you're in sin. You, you, I don't want that for you. I want you to get married. I'm not condemning you. I'm just telling you a better way for you. Oh, let me give you this one. Oh, God gave me this one Saturday night, last night. He gave this to me. Listen to this. Oh, here it is. Mark 10, 21. And the rich young ruler came to Jesus. And the Bible says in verse 21, and Jesus loved him. Grace. And then he said, Truth, go, sell your possessions, take up your cross and follow me. And the guy said, Thanks, but no thanks. I was with you, Jesus, to a point. I was with you until you told me the hard sayings. Listen, our churches in America are absolutely jam packed with grace only. We need full of grace and we need truth. I, amen, bless you. We don't need just desserts. We need meat and potatoes. Are y'all with me what I'm trying to say? We need the whole counsel of God. We need 
We need you, Jesus, in your hard time, in your hard sayings. So, so I'm reading this book, and I'll close with this. And I'm, 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 it's called Imagine Heaven. It's written by my friend John Burke, who's on our council of Christ Together, Greater Austin. And last I heard, Netflix is working with John on trying to do a, uh, a series out of this book called Imagine Heaven. The book, all the book is about is near-death experiences. When people die, sort of, and they, before they go to heaven or hell, they're in this realm, and then they come back to their bodies. Um, professor out of the University of Connecticut, he was studying the near-death experiences of blind people. Stay with me. Blind people. He documented, uh, Dr. Kenneth Ring, I think his name is, he's documented, he's written a whole book about near-death experiences of blind people like Vicki. Vicky's 22 years of age. She's in a horrendous car accident. She's thrown out of the car, breaks her neck, breaks her back, and everybody thinks she's dead. She can't see, right? She is blind. And she knows Jesus. And when she dies, she says things that nobody could have known. There's no way they could have known when you describe the operating room, when you describe the events that surround us. This is what convinced some of these very skeptic doctors. Because they say, well, how did you know they intubated you? How did you know what the doctor was wearing? She goes, one of the ladies says, yeah, one of the surgeons, he forgot to put the little flippy floppy things on his feet. And they said, what do you mean the flippy, you know, the coverings on his feet when you're supposed to put them on in surgery? And they said, well, how do you know that? She said, I'm telling you, I had this out-of-body experience. So I'm reading this like you, skeptical. I'm reading it. And Vicki says, and I saw him. There's no mistaking him. He came to me in this amazing force of light, and it was Jesus. And I, I'd, never, I'd never seen before, I've never felt this before, but I saw him, and she describes Jesus the way he looked to her. And she said, I just, all I want to do is just stay in your presence. And Jesus told her, no, you got to go back because you still need to learn and teach about love and forgiveness. And John Burke records in his book, and she protested vehemently. Are you with me? She's arguing with Jesus. Good luck with that. <laughs> Tell me how that goes for you. And she said, no, Jesus, no, no, I don't want to go back to that. I am in your presence. And Jesus said, you must leave. Boom. And she was back into her body. And I looked at that, and I was like, Jesus in the Bible, is just, he's the same. Yes, I love you, but then Jesus loves us so much to tell us what we don't want to hear. Yes, I want to go to heaven. You have to repent. Well, yes, I want to change the world. You first must be changed. So the incarnation, if it tells me anything, it tells me that God has come in, the, in his Son, and that the Son comes and, and, and changes us, so that we become little Christ, incarnational living. When people look at us, they see the King. The King has come. Aren't you glad he came? I'm so glad he didn't leave us in our darkness, in our sin, but he has come. Some of you today is a big, big day. Because what you're going to do is you're going to take a little step toward God. It may not, it's not even going to be a big step. 
you're not going to pray to receive Christ today and become a Christian. No, I get that. And I'm okay with that because it, it tells me that you have gone from negative 5 to negative 4. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. Now, of course, I'd love to come on to zero and accept Jesus, be saved, go to heaven, hallelujah, right? But there are some people in this room today, and I have this gift. I just know this. Don't ask me how I know this. I just know what I'm about to say. The Lord doesn't do this to me very often when I preach, but he's doing it to me right now. There's somebody in this room today. You just moved a little closer to Jesus, and that is a very, very good thing. I'm so glad for you. Others of you are like, forget negative five, man. I'm all in. I'm over here. Jesus saved my soul. Hallelujah. Come. Come and see what God has done. Receive him into your heart and soul today. Others of you are ready to take a next step. You take a step. You've already been saved. You know the Lord Jesus Christ, but you are ready to get business with God, do business with God, get busy with God. You're ready to get in a small group. You may be even ready to join our church. You may be ready to get in some kind of ministry here and serve. Wherever you are along this continuum of the Christian faith, I just want everybody to move, just move a little closer to the king because he wants you. He loves you too much to allow you to stay where you are. Noel, Noel, Come and see what God has done. Noel, come. Come and see. It's like, it's like heaven is shouting to us today. Come. Come and see. You say, I want to see. How do I see? With the eyes of faith. Father, we thank you today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving it that we might read it and be evaluated by it and to be shown that we are desperately needful people. Lord, our sin is of such a nature that the blood of goats and calves and the good deeds of man can never expiate or satisfy you. God, it takes you shedding your blood for us in Jesus so that we can be cleansed of our sin. And Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, that it all began. It began in prophecy in the Old Testament, but it really began in the incarnation when you came. So, Lord, we thank you for everybody that's here today. Lord, I, I know in my spirit, God, you are speaking to somebody. And you're pushing them just a little closer to repentance and faith. And I thank you, God, for that. And sir or ma'am, whoever you are, with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, and your heart is beating like crazy fast, going, who told you? That's just God loves you. God just loves you. He allowed you to be here so you could hear what you heard so that your life could be transformed. Lord, I also pray for our church. Lord, I love Great Hills Baptist Church. Lord, I love what you have done, what you are doing, what you're about to do in the life of our church. And I pray for us that, Lord, we would be people of grace and people of truth. Sometimes, Lord, we don't have any problem being truth, 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 truth. This is the way it is. Lord, we need grace. We need to be good with letting somebody go ahead of us. We need to be good with preferring another person. Lord, would you help us all grow in grace and truth? Oh, God, I need to grow in grace, God. 
not just my church, but I need to grow in grace, God. I'm one very, very quick to truth, truth, truth. That's heresy. You're wrong. I need to be growing. So, Lord Jesus, help me. Help me, this person, Lord, this pastor, that I would be more gracious, forgiving, and kind, even as, God, you have been incredibly gracious, forgiving, and kind in me. And this is my prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen. Noel, would you stand up? God bless you. We're going to have an invitation. Love this song. Terry's about to sing it. Holy Spirit of God speaks to you, draws you to Jesus. Would you come? Would you just come, kneel at the altar, let somebody pray with you. Let somebody talk to you about spiritual things. This is a holy moment. God bless you as you come, as we sing.